Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're doing listener Q&As, as we do every single Thursday. You can go catch the show notes down below if you want to skip ahead to the questions. Uh, if you just don't, you literally do not care about what we have to say for the first half hour or so of this podcast, you can just skip it and go right to the good part. So, uh, anyways, um, Jacob, how are you doing? Doing well. Do well. Doing fairly well. Again, you're going to hear next Thursday, I think, uh, talking about some... Yeah, we got to talk about our SOA hunt. We're a little crammed for time while yep. we're uh, doing this one. We're possibly going to have to go help people with some deer, which yeah, we'll, we'll talk about more in the future. Yep, absolutely. So, anyway, um, ended up... Uh, again, we're going to talk about the SOA hunts on on next week's uh, Thursday breakdown episode, but... Uh, no, dude, I'm doing good. Doing real good. Uh, you know, trying to survive this uh, Arctic cold blast down here in the deep south. Hey, listen, it's been a rough two weeks for Alabamians, all right? <laughs> Saving done left. It, the world, literally, the world froze over. 
Seriously. That is true. <laughs> Nick Saban caused this Arctic blast. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We were plunged into seven years of darkness. He said, dude, I'm bouncing to Miami, bro. I'm, I'm going to hit the beaches. Forget this crap. Hey, you know, everyone before uh, this football season was talking about, you know, he bought that uh, that big giant house down there mm-hmm. in like West Palm Beach or wherever it was. Yep. And everyone's like, hey, man, old folks moving to Florida. You know, he got that Florida house. So, yeah, anyways, my condolences go out to all the Alabama fans. I think I think we got another Q&A from old Tick Saban. Uh, you remember the we had a guy write in, and he, he went by the name Tick Saban, so I wonder how he's doing right now. Mm. I think I think we got a question from him today. If not today, we definitely have it next week. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, anyways, it, yeah, it's been it's been a hard two weeks for, hey, for the people you, of Alabama. You know what's bad? I'm pretty sure I saw this. I'm pretty sure Auburn fans, at least students, went and rolled Toomer's Corner <laughs> when, when he announced it. Yeah. I'm like, that's bad when you you suck so bad, <laughs> Auburn, okay, that when, you know, your, uh. your, your opponent's – you know, number one rivals coach retired. You got to go celebrate. That's how bad you are. I'm sorry, Auburn people. I just had to put that out there. Mm. So I'm sure we'll get that in the comments. War Eagle, son. War <laughs> Eagle. Anyways, anyways, enough football talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, uh, the meetup event, February 24th, Weaver Meat Processing in Hartsell, Alabama. We're going to be there. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, Weaver Meats, uh, people have heard them advertised on the show. They've been a partner with us. For our Alabama audience, for what, three years now? Yeah, three years. If you live outside of Alabama, you probably haven't heard those ads because we can target them yeah, to locations. Uh, but yeah, our Alabama uh, our Alabama listeners have heard those ads for a couple years now. We've been using them for several years, really believe in, in them and, and their family. They're a fantastic group of people. There's like, I don't even know how many brothers. How many brothers is it? I think there's nine siblings. I don't know how nine many brothers. Siblings. I think seven. I mean, there's a bunch of them running around up there. But the cool thing is, so this event's in North Alabama. Again, the second annual Hunters Meetup at Weaver's Meet. Again, um, presented by both Weaver Meets, but also the Southern Outdoorsmen. So we're going to be there hosting the event. It's going to awesome some live podcasts um weavers it, provides all the food yeah weavers gonna provide all the food so you can come and have some great food and drinks hold on yards family friendly no charge free to enter if you actually want to um you know get some reminders about the event on our facebook page again the southern outdoorsman on facebook uh we have the events page set up so you can go over to the, our facebook page look at the events it actually has it on there all the all the um uh, I guess the daily shenanigans of what we're going to be doing while at the event, but also it has the address and all the information there. So you can go save it. You can go, you know, submit whether you're interested in coming or also if you're actually going to go to the event, but this is in North Alabama. So if you're listening in Tennessee, you know, Mississippi, even some parts of North Georgia, feel free to drive down for the day, come hang out, make it a weekend event. Maybe, maybe go scout some public land after the fact, you know, if you want to go stretch your legs on Alabama public land for the 2024 five season, uh, you can do so. But it's going to be an absolutely awesome event. You know, pretty much daylight to dark, we're going to be doing something. I think the event actually officially starts at, I think, 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, uh, Buckmasters will be there. Uh, Steve Lucas and a couple of his guys from Buckmasters are going to be scoring deer, both for the Weaver Meets uh, Big Buck Contest. Which I'm still looking for. You know, we're going to talk about tagging out and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm still looking for that last buck that I'm actually going to enter into that competition. And I had that opportunity, but you know, y'all going to have to hear about next week. Um, you know, I got I got a lot to say. He, he might have made the top ten. I don't know, my top five for this contest. But again, you're going to have to tune in next week for it. I got a lot um, to say about that. But anyway. It's going to be an awesome event, but you also can bring just any of your deer down that you're just curious about. Like, man, I'd like to get that deer scored or get my dad's deer scored or something like that. Just kind of have an idea. You can bring it down, and it's free for them to score. And if you want to enter into the record books, I think it's like 25 bucks so yeah. if it makes the minimum criteria. Um, so I had them score a couple of my deer for me because I was curious about one of the, my, my velvet buck was bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, which is you know pretty cool to see, um, and I think I might bring up my Iowa buck to get scored as well. But you can bring your deer down, and get scored, hang out. Again, I think we're going to run some seminars, live podcasts, a whole nine yards, free event. So again, that's February twenty fourth in Hartsville, Alabama. Again, go to the Facebook page, Southern Outdoorsman, and you'll see the events tab there. And then again, just click and submit whether or not you're interested in going or not, and all the details are going to be there. So appreciate mm-hmm. everybody. It's already submitted that they're going to be going. It should be an awesome event. We had a really big turnout last year, and actually that was in hunting season. That was January like fifteenth or something. Man. And the messages we got. They were like, why are y'all doing it in hunting season? Well, yeah. So this year, again, yeah. we decided to do it after hunting season, just after deer season's closed out, just after the NWTF convention. So it's going to be a great time. So really excited to see a lot of you guys there. And, of course, we're going to have Southern Outdoorsman Apparel. If you want to come get you a hat, maybe uh, maybe get some shirts or something. I don't know. Just come on down to the event and uh, and hang out for us for the day. So Yeah. yeah it's going to be a good time. Really, really looking forward to that. Uh, so, yeah, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about the SOA hunt next week. Uh, just let the record know that uh, Jacob, 
Jacob did not listen to me, and it cost him a crack at a 140. So, anyways, we'll just let that marinate until next Thursday. Uh, Andrew was right. Should have listened to him. Um, But this week, we're going to talk about uh, tag-out strategy. Okay, what? Also next week, you're going to hear about how I had to walk through 200 yards in my boxers. Okay? 200 yards of what? Of water. Yes. Oh, yeah. Walk through water. 200 yards in your boxers. It's it, like we're with, just wandering with, around with, in the woods. With current and everything. I promise you, you ain't going to miss a yeah. you want You don't want to miss a story because we got videos that we're going to put on social media as well. It was cold. It was a little a little frigid. You know, it's probably a good thing for me. You know, got to keep everything <laughs> up and tight. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun story. So y'all aren't going to want to miss next Thursday's episode. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, so we're kind of nearing the end. I think Georgia has closed potentially. Yeah. Tennessee. Tennessee, well, West Tennessee goes to the end of January, but most of Tennessee, they've closed by like the 7th. So yeah. they, they, they've done wrapped up. Mississippi's still got a good bit of season left. Louisiana's Arca- still hunting. Arkansas has, again, one of the longest seasons in the country. They go to February, I think, 29th this year. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, speak about Arkansas, Jonathan Moreland, again, past guest of the podcast, um, he just shot a really nice mature buck with his bow, uh, with his uh, recurve, or maybe, I don't know, recurve longbow, one of his, one of his traditional bows, yeah. uh, just a few days ago. And after he shot it, when it hit the ground, both antlers fell off. So pretty crazy, you know, pretty oh, wild. But yeah, man. I mean, Arkansas has got a crazy long bow season. So there's still a lot of hunting to be left. And parts of North Florida will go until mid-February. Yep. So even a little bit later than Alabama does. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, here in Alabama, we're still kind of in this like polar freeze right now. And uh, it's actually going to extend into this weekend. So, again, we're, we're returning and burning this one, you know, 17th, coming out on the 18th. Uh, this coming weekend, it's going to be pretty cold. It's going to be down in the teens at night. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, still a lot of ice and, and stuff like that. And uh, I, I had a, some people message me asking about, like, what do we think the deer we're going to do mm-hmm. in this kind of weird weather event for us? Which, you know, I texted one of our buddies who lives up in uh, Minnesota and I was like, I was like, hey man, I sent him a picture of like the lightest snow flurry ever outside of my house the yeah. other morning. And I'm like, dude, there's icicles, there's snow flurries. The state's shut down. The, the fabric of society is unraveling. Yeah. Like everything's falling apart. And uh, he sent me a screenshot of their weather and it was uh, seven below zero. And, and like he's three like, three feet of snow. Yeah. And he's like, meanwhile, up here, everyone's like, is winter even coming this year? Because <laughs> they like just now got snow at like the same time that, that we got it. It was that same storm front. I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but anyways, um, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. This is always kind of an interesting subject because I think it's a little counterintuitive, at least what I, my opinion, I think is a little counterintuitive to what people might think. Um, are you talking about with a cold front like this? Yeah. Like with a cold front like this, what do you, what do you think? You good deer movement, bad deer movement. So when it lasts, as long as it's going to last, I think it's going to enhance movement when it's just like a couple days. Like if you have like one of these really cold, like we've had some of these, they call it polar vortexes or whatever come down It lasts for a couple days and it's gone. Yeah. It seems at least in decent part of Alabama from guys I've talked to, uh, shuts down a lot of movement. Deer kind of hunker down. They're not used to, you know, single digit temperatures or even in the teens. Um, and it seems to shut down movement but when you've had it extend as long as we have like almost a week now it actually will be nearly a week long they've got to feed they got to get up and i was telling somebody this couple days ago i'm like dude if i was on a club where you had either like some really really good looking food plots and i'm not talking greens i'm talking more so like if you had grain planted or anything like that like you had corn some beans uh maybe some turnips radishes stuff like that it might be tremendous right now hunting food source even during the rut and catching a ton of deer piling in bucks checking those areas yeah um and then also i was telling a guy i'm like dude if you had the opportunity against a private land and you could run corn right now in corn piles Mm -hmm. it might be insane and actually thomas on a little property he's got my brother uh, he had some corn put out and, um, it's like, dude, the second that cold front hit deer were like nowhere to be found day two and day three, they showed it, up like every hour on the hour, big doe groups, bucks, the whole nine yards, just checking those areas. Yeah. So for a public land guy, I, I think it really comes back down to, this is the one time of the year that you really want to focus on some of that thermal cover. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, if you could find one of those spots, whether it's a big CRP field, uh, one of those two, three-year-old clear cuts where there's still sun getting to the ground and the stuff's like four or five foot tall yeah, and, uh, you know, blocks the wind, but they get a lot of sunlight there, I think you could have an awesome hunt right now, especially if it's the rut. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be hunting necessarily in a closed out 
thick canopied pine thicket. It's like where some open ground, the deer can get some sunlight, they can warm up a little bit and also browse around in there. And I think it'd just be money right now. Yeah. Yeah, I actually agree with pretty much everything you just said. Uh like when when that really, really nasty cold weather first hits, I feel like they move good right before it hits. Like that like I think Michael Pike was saying like twelve to sixteen hours before mm-hmm. that front, like you typically get good movement. Uh but when it does hit like the first day or two, I'll man, I always seem to just get absolutely skunked. And maybe I'm just hunting the wrong areas, but uh it seems like I was talking to someone about it the other day. I'm like, I think the deer are kinda like us, you know, like most of these deer have never experienced cold like that. Yeah. Or they've only experienced like literally one or two or three days of their entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking like a four-year-old deer. The last time that we got a significant snow, at least in our part of Alabama, was 2017. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of the deer that we're hunting right now were not even alive when that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that kind of puts it in perspective. So, it's something different, new for them. So, I kind of feel like they hunker down. But, like, what you're saying, the longer it goes on, I feel like it gets better. And, like, tomorrow, I think the highs are... In like maybe the forties, that would be the tomorrow's day. the day. The day, I, in my opinion, you I know? think tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow and Friday might yeah. be killer because we get more cold air coming Friday evening. It's gonna be like real cold Saturday morning. I think it's supposed to be, or maybe Saturday night's supposed to get down to like single digits again. Yep. Um, and again, that might not necessarily mess some things up because it warmed up just you know maybe. 30 degrees beforehand, but uh, I think you'll still have really good movement. But again, if if it was me, public land, rut or not rut right now, it's like trying to find someplace where there's plenty of sun, but there's good ground cover and plenty of browse for them. So again, it just goes back to those clear cuts. Uh, Again, those two, three-year-old clear cuts. Um, Maybe if you had like, you know, if you're hunting like river bombs, maybe, and it was just like big hardwood bottom that had ample sunlight where you had a bunch of switch cane and stuff growing up underneath it where it's still mm-hmm. like, yeah. they're still getting sun, but they have a little break between like the, um, you know, the wind and all that kind of stuff and some browse down there that might would probably be really good. Or again, some slut cut pines where it's like, you know, two, three old slut cut pines where everything underneath you know, pretty browsy, pretty thick, you know, get that, you know, four foot of cover, five foot of cover, but there's plenty of sunlight getting through that stuff. That yeah. probably be killer as well. If you don't have the opportunity to hunt like a fresher clear cut, you know, finding some slut cut pines um, that again aren't old select cut where it's big saplings growing up underneath them, but where it's more like, again, your greenbrier, your honeysuckle, everything kind of growing up underneath it. It's where it's kind of thick and, you know, real browsy, you know, tons of food for them. I think it'd be excellent right now. And then plus if you're hunting, again, if you're hunting private land, you know, if you have any really good, you know, food plots, um, you know, close to some, you know, pretty good bedding like that, that might be killer. Uh, and then also it might be a really good time, dude, for real hunting some road beds in a, on a club. Yeah. If you got like some of that, like some of that grass and stuff on the side of the road beds, cause the deer bed right there too. Yeah. Um, and you know, kind of be able to stay warm, but kind of stay in some little bit of cover and then get up and just feed up and down those old road beds. I mean, mm-hmm. it might just be awesome right now. Yeah, no, that's actually where I'm pretty sure that, uh, Blakely just shot that doe. Um, Oh, it's a doe. Yeah. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Hey, you know that uh, cattle pasture b- uh-huh. behind the house? Yeah. I was letting the dogs out this morning, and a hammer ran across that thing. A good one. A Scott Seals O.S. buck. You know okay. what I'm saying? Okay, okay, Yeah. Tiffany, like, Tiffany's laughing at me because I saw it from the back door. I was like, Tiffany, look at that buck back there. And I, like, ran to the edge of the fence. Literally, like, the, like, babe, literally get, ran to the fence. You're like, babe, get the gun. Get the gun. <laughs> get my 30 out sick. Dude, oh, my gosh. Leaning out of the bathroom window, like, come on, stop Dude, for me. He was a no-brainer, like, as soon as you see him with your naked. He was all the way on the back side of the pasture on the other side of it. Mm. And, dude, like, yeah, instantly saw white, I mean, just nice, nice buck. Uh, and he was just out. You know, cruising, it looked like. Wasn't on a doe or anything. So I was like, hey, tis the season. Mm. Tis the season. That That's right on track, you know, with, uh, you know, it's January 17th. Everyone was saying they kind of start chasing around Christmas, New Year's, that time frame in this neighborhood specifically, like just around us. Uh, so, you know, this would put us at the time in the rut, you know, kind of later rut where some of those bigger deer supposedly get up and start moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool to see. That was interesting. But we got uh, basically a, a little bit more... Then we got a a little bit less than a month to go uh, in Alabama's deer season. I've I've got two tags in Alabama so far, mm-hmm. um, or I've got two left. You've got one left. Yep. So, uh, what is what are you looking at doing for the rest of the season to like try to tag out? So, number one, this is the advantage of like living in a state like Alabama and Mississippi's kind of like this too, uh, where you can chase the rut. It's like. 
okay, a lot of the deer kind of locally around us, you know, buck-wise kind of shut down. Like, uh, I was talking to Mr. Benny, and he's yep. saying he's still seeing bucks, and he's got some bucks. He's like, dude, you probably could kill them right now, but they're in some thick stuff. Yeah. Like, thick stuff. And um, it, it always seems like when you start getting that really late post-rut around here, when you're like a month out from, like, when the rut was – it's just like that that mature buck movement, even just good like a three year old buck movement. It is just shut down. Like they're yeah. they're browsing inside again. A lot of times in this area, you know, pine thicket stuff like that. You know, munch on some green briar, just whatever they can get a hold of right now. Uh, and it's really hard to get good observation of them, especially when you're hunting public land. You might not have like great late season food sources. You know, all the oaks are done. Uh, other than just like browse and like again your classic clear cuts, you don't have a lot of great season uh, food sources. Um, and I'll be honest. I don't have the confidence doing like what Jacob Leishens talked about, yeah. kind of going out there and kind of really trying to backtrack one to his bed. So I'm relying a little bit more on traveling, you know, further south and trying to find some areas where the rut is just now starting to get good and trying to capitalize more on finding doe groups, habitat does are going to be in and where it makes sense for bucks to be cruising through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, that's what we're going to be doing later on this month is going to some areas that, you know, have a little bit later rut. We have a little more opportunity to catch a cruising buck, buck on his feet um, yeah. and kind of capitalize on that instead of necessarily trying to hunker down and try to hunt these late season deer right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of right there with you on that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to hunt the club, uh, for sure. Some more, especially right now, there's one really nice eight point that we've been getting on camera out there. And, uh, he was showing up in the middle of the night in this one area, a good bit. And I was talking to Mike about it and I was like, you know, the later we get in the rut, I think he's going to start getting closer and closer to daylight. Yep. And sure enough, last week he showed up, I mean, like right there, like if you had been in there, you probably could have got a crack at him. Because uh, he was super close to shooting light, and it was right before daylight mm-hmm. is when he came through, uh, where this particular camera was at. So, I'm um, I'm pretty hopeful that right now, whether it's that big eight point or even the ten point, if he's still alive, uh, we don't really know where he's at. I haven't got a picture of him in a while. Um, I, I think this is the timing of the rut where we could potentially get one of those deer. Yeah, yeah. you know, back walking, on his feet, cruising. back on his feet, and also. Since New Year's, you know, this is a very low-pressure club. There's like two or three people that, that hunt out there pretty often, but they're always, always sitting in a food plot. Yep. They're, they are never out in the woods. Uh, but, man, since New Year's, uh, I went out there, I think, on Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, to go put a jawbone in the box from a deer I killed out there earlier this year. And uh, I went and dropped the jawbone in the box because uh, it's, it's a Westervelt lease, so Westervelt, they like – they want whenever you kill a deer out there, they want you to pull the jawbone and, and they have a little box. They've been doing it forever. When I was a little kid in the Westervelt Club, I remember the jawbone box, and uh, you put it in there and they use it for data and stuff. Uh, their property managers use it for data. So I was like, well, I'm going to check the pinout board while I'm here. And dude, there must have been like eight people out there, like eight different people. I mean, just the whole property was covered up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the following that was I think two weeks ago. The following weekend, which is last weekend, I did the same thing, and sure enough. Just a bunch of people out there. Bunch of people been hunting out there. So uh, the pressure increased, but a lot of those people are still on food plots. And, I and you know, I've talked to a couple of them, and they're definitely just hunting food plots from what I could tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually kind of – I don't think it really matters, actually, mm-hmm. that they're doing that. Like, they might kill one of those bucks. I mean, you never know. Like, he might come walking behind a doe into one of those food plots. But uh, – but from a pressure standpoint, I think the deer are were already avoiding those food plots. So I don't really think it's going to change the pattern that much. No, um, I don't know. I guess we'll see as I go out there and start hunting it some more. Uh, maybe maybe it'll get them more concentrated. I don't know. But I, you know, I talked to somebody from the club, and he was he was telling me about what had been shot at, what had been killed out there. And there's two guys in particular who had both missed two does on food plots. I don't think they've killed one yet, but they've both missed two does on different food plots. And, you know, he was talking about how every time, I mean, on this club, it's like everyone hunts the food plots, and every time a doe walks out on a food plot, she gets a freaking bullet slung at her. Every time. Or more like, pah, because they don't hit it. Yeah. I don't know how you, uh, well, I'm not trying to put my foot in my mouth, but y'all don't have any big food plots, really. So I'm like, how are you missing a deer at 60 yards? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, or or they just shooting them, shooting with a bad bullet, no blood, and like oh, man, I missed her. And there's a bunch, there's four dead deer laying out there in the woods somewhere. 
That honestly, that, I think that happens, I, that's what I was telling him. I'm like, that's probably what it is. That happens way more than people think. Oh yeah, especially you know we got we got some rabbit hunters who are going to be on the podcast uh, here in the near future. But you know when we go out rabbit hunting, that was one thing I was telling someone at the club because I was like, hey, we're going to try to rabbit hunt this place uh, sometime after deer season. Get some guys on some beagles out here, and I was telling him you'd be surprised at how often we rabbit hunt a club. Mm-hmm. And we, we've rabbit hunted all over the state, Perry County, Dallas County, Tuscaloosa County, mm-hmm. Bibb County, and, and all these different hunting clubs. You'll be, you're in the thicket, you know, especially us, like, younger guys. Yeah. Like, we're, like, in the, literally busting. I got Briar Bibbs, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm, like, Iron Man in those things. I go busting right through there. And the amount of, like, either big sheds or just big deadheads that you find out in those pine thickets that you take it out and you show it to someone who's in that club and they had no idea the deer ever existed. No one had ever seen it. No one had gotten pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it just lived on the property and it was just, it just avoided them its whole life. Or it walked out on a food plot and, you know, someone shot it and couldn't find it. Cause that's where a lot of times you find them is, you know, around those food plots. Yeah, within like a hundred yards. Of yeah, within a hundred yards of that food plot in that pine thicket is you'll you'll find a bunch of dead deer because you know guys will shoot it, can't find any blood going to the field edge, and they kind of assume they missed it, and you know it's a tough situation. So. And, and that, but they're also typically like a lot of food plots, at least especially how your club sets up, it's right next to a pine thicket. Yeah, it's just like almost impenetrable. Um, so you know, because of that, if they don't find blood, they're like, well, I'm not pursuing the thing because I, you know, I don't have any evidence. I I hit it. Yeah. Um, like and, to the point, these pine thickets are thick enough where if you're gonna exit the food plot, you're getting on your hands and knees. Yeah. And crawling through. It's almost worth just lighting a match and burn her up before you walk in there. <laughs> it is. Call Westerville. Hey, we're doing a prescribed fire. <laughs> I'm prescribing it. Yeah, that's right. So. So yeah. Anyways, that'll be interesting. Uh, I'm I'm gonna hunt the club a little bit, and then we got one more big camp um coming up in a couple weeks that mm-hmm. that we're gonna be going and, and doing a big river bottom hunt bringing the boat again it's gonna be a good old time gonna have a bunch of good buddies in camp and uh yeah might might be hunting some rutting deer uh they, they should still be rutting by the time we get down there and then of course there's a bunch of hogs down there too yeah. in south alabama so might get a crack at a big old big old porker so yep yep um well we'll talk about it thursday's <laughs> episode but um there's a guy killing a big old pig while we were there that was just that's Big. the biggest. That's the biggest pig I've ever seen yeah. in person. I yeah. texted Dave, Dave Ellis, and he's like, "That's a nice one." And it, you know, he's trapped like officially weighed three hundred plus pound pigs. And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like this one. This one was huge to me. It was like two hundred something pounds." But God, dude, I can't imagine what like a bigger pig would look like. But, um, but no, it, it's been interesting. Again, there, I think there's been a ton of takeaways this season. And um, next Monday's episode, guys, we actually uh, did it with Mike Dillon, old yep. Andrew's stepdad, and. Um, little foreshadowing Mike kills his first deer and it's a good one yep real nice spot <laughs> yep. and um anyways but one thing we talked about in that episode about mention here too is like uh I think one thing I'm going to do more so going into 2024 2025 season this coming fall is get even more well like getting more well acquainted with my gear before season gets in yeah because I felt like that Georgia trip was a thing for me where I was like you know I kind of worked through all the kinks on that Georgia trip you yeah, know, first time we're hunting, hunting September, um, and then you know by the time we get to Alabama, it's like man, I've been I've been hunting for a week, so you yeah, know it's feeling you know, good, feeling good. But I think there's so many people out there that you know, especially if you're only hunting weekends or hunting like one day a week, maybe like on a Saturday or something, it it may take you a month to kind of get used to your gear, especially if you're like if you're not using a, a say a climber and you've been using the climber you know for a decade, um, you know if you're using saddles or lock-ons or anything like that, you know it's really nice to kind of make sure you're you know exactly how you're packing stuff up every single time, so it's nice and quiet going in the woods, quiet going out of the woods, you're <laughs> quiet hanging it. Andrew's still sick, by the way. You're gonna hear more about that on Monday. Yeah. God bless all the audio listeners. It's getting better. It's going away. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, I think that's something I'm going to work on more so, um, you know, this summer and kind of fine tuning some of that stuff. So like, I mean, right when you get that first opportunity, you can you know execute as best as you can, you know, from yeah. a from a gear standpoint, and you know, give yourself in the best you know the best circumstances and being quiet. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, one thing I'm going to try to do this year is actually uh, legitimately try to do some postseason scouting. Try? I don't like the word try. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm going to do some postseason. Because oh. here's what normally happens, though, in February. February uh-huh. gets really busy, busy for us. It really is. Uh, and so it's actually really difficult for us to get out in the woods just with like different things that we mm-hmm. got going on on like the like back end of, of the podcast. And yep. uh, uh, so usually 
I end up doing a bunch of summer scouting, and some sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. Um, that's something that I've been trying to hone in on over the years. Is like, okay, how do you do actually do like effective summer scouting? Like, what can you actually do in the summer that will legitimately help you in the fall? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that's actually really difficult because it's not as simple as just going out and scouting. In my opinion, like you got to be more specific about what you're looking for to save you time and effort in the fall that you could be spending hunting. Yep. Uh, and postseason scouting is one of the best ways to do that, where you can go out and you can see the sign, everything's fresh, you get to see what it looks like in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And I've just never had a, a lot of good chances to do that, but we're definitely going to make a conscious effort with some new areas, I think, this yeah. this off-season before green-up happens, so we, hopefully before, like, mid-March. Or, or, so we talked about, again, people will hear this on Monday's episode, about making a competition with the, with the audience. Oh, yeah. About, you know, who can put in the most postseason miles. And riding around in your truck with your Onyx tracker on does not count everybody, <laughs> okay? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, and I think you – how we ought to do it is structure it through like your onyx tracker uh-huh. and like you got to add all that up and i don't know we got we got to have some kind of proof or something you know can't me can't be going off just your watch you got to share all your pins with us yeah no because <laughs> think about like your gar like i love my garmin watch but like if you're driving your truck like five ten miles an hour uh-huh. it thinks you're walking i don't uh-huh. know if you've noticed that uh-huh so like that day on the soa and people hear about next thursday and i was like kind of riding around that place it said i did like 6400 steps you know and I'm like, no, I absolutely did not. <laughs> hey, I, I realized that uh, I don't know how it calculates the steps. Like, I think it's like you moving your wrist, basically. You, well, so one time I was I was at the beach this past summer, and mm-hmm. I, I woke up at like daylight, and uh, I went out I went out to the surf with a fishing rod, and I dude I walked like way up and down the beach. <laughs> you cast? Well, no, I I was casting with my right hand, and I was reeling with my left hand, which my, I wear my watch on. So I'm sitting here, you know, reeling. And uh, I fished for like an hour or two, and then I go back in and I look at it, and it says I'd done like nineteen thousand steps. I was like, "Dang, I walked way further than I thought." And then eventually I, it dawned on me. I'm like, "No, I definitely didn't walk that far." Yeah. <laughs> and then it was the freaking fishing. So if you ever uh, any Garmin users, if you're in a competition with your buddy on steps, if you want to cheat, go fishing, or just tie it to your dog and just let your <laughs> dog run around. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyways, but anyways, yeah. but yeah, so we got a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, super excited, but uh, yeah, one more plug, guys. Want to see you at the Weaver meetup, okay? Yeah. February 24th, but Dang straight as we get over, we got some QAs that we're gonna get to right now. Uh, again, appreciate everybody that's been spending QAs. Uh, again, you can find the link for the QAs uh, down in the show notes of the podcast and in the video description on YouTube as well. So you can go down there, uh, submit your questions, and again, also. You can specify in your questions. If you want to hear from a certain guest, like their thought on it, put it in the question so that we have some time to be able to reach out to them and try to see if we can get a you know an answer from them. I think last week we just did that with Shane Parker. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so. we did. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is 
unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. All right. This first one is from tick Saban from Alabama. Uh, what do you guys do to break frustration from a mature buck drought? I stopped hunting for a few years because of life and got back into it hard these past couple years. Have had opportunities at several does and small bucks, but no mature shooters. Would love to hear your feedback on how to get over this lull. Love the podcast and keep up the great work. Roll Tad. Roll Tad. Roll Tad. Um, so I'll tell you what. I think we're going to do a podcast after deer season with Michael Pike to talk about that specific topic. Yeah, Michael got super, super burned out. But I'll get my answer um, because, like, I've had – in the, if you look at the last, like, five or six years, I've had – uh, all of them have been pretty good except one or two of them. One or two of them are like real struggle fest for me. And, mm-hmm. and I like, I for sure got really, really frustrated. And uh, I think this goes into something that we actually go referring again back to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay, our Georgia hunt. In that podcast, we talked with Shane Parker kind of about this subject of, and it's uh, it had to do with your mindset and your mindset during hunting season and, and basically keeping yourself in a good headspace when it comes to being confident. And uh, what Shane was getting at when he was talking about it is if he goes and sets up in a spot, like this is where he had just walked through the the cornfield from hell. He's bleeding everywhere. He's yeah. in a, he made a bunch of noise, like nothing worked out. And they'd been him and Seth had been sitting in this spot for like five minutes, and Shane like turned around and looked at Seth and said, "I don't know what the hell we're doing here," and and so he was like, "Let's just get up and leave." And so they went, they got up and left, and went and got the truck and just like drove around and scouted from the road. And uh, Shane was saying a lot of people might look at that as, as like an L or you know like you wasted your time or whatever, and it can be easy to look at it that way. But the way that Shane put it is, uh, it's better to like go literally waste that time doing anything else than to sit there in a spot you're not confident in and kind of marinate in that where you're like, this sucks, this spot sucks, there's no deer here, there's no bucks here. Uh, because that's going to like that's gonna affect the rest of your hunting season. Like if you yeah. fall into that mindset, it's going to screw it. Because like if you're not confident walking into a setup, then you're not going to be as quiet. You're not going to take as much thought into why you're going to that setup. And everything's just going to fall apart. Um, so... For me personally, the way that I remedy it is I just started scouting more than I hunted. Um, and even even now where I, I got a nine-month-old, you know, I've got a job, I've got this podcast, i got a lot going on. My time's really limited on when I can actually go hunt. But even with that limited time, I've still started taking a lot more time to go scout. Mm-hmm. And to me, there it does two things. Like, first of all, um, I'm a lot more prepared when I do get to hunt and so my hunts have been way 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 better this year and I've, I've hit a way higher percentage of of actually killing stuff and we even talked about it a couple weeks ago where we were on a dry spell uh at the, at the hunting club and so i was going to give up two or three hunts um in order to go and just scout two or three hunts for me equals two or three weeks potentially mm-hmm. and i did that i gave up two or three weeks and then when we decided to hunt we went in there and bam mike killed his buck which yep. you're going to hear about on monday and so, so like it worked out there, but so it does that, like, obviously it prepares you more, but also for me personally, it keeps me in a good headspace mm-hmm. because I'm like, I don't, I don't fall into the thing of like, oh my gosh, I'm frustrated. I'm not seeing big deer because I'm not actually hunting. I'm just scouting, you know? So, uh, if I, if I hunt like three times in a row and I don't see a deer, I get very discouraged. Okay. So instead of hunting three times in a row and maybe not seeing a deer, I'll scout twice and hunt once, and I'm more than likely going to see a deer because I spent those two days scouting, yep. and I'm in the best spot possible. So, so you're also it's just you're preventing yourself from uh, doing a bunch of crappy sits, you mm-hmm. know, just to be sitting in a tree. So that that's my personal advice. It's like just start getting out and scouting, and don't worry so much that you're missing time in the stand because it's probably not going to be that good anyways without the scouting there. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the biggest. Um 
probably one of the biggest factors for a lot of our guests who are consistently like, getting opportunities and killing mature bucks, especially if that's their goal, is the time they spent scouting, uh, both preseason, postseason, and during season scouting, especially during season scout, uh, scouting. Because um, preseason can definitely help you maybe like fine tune areas and find some areas that might look good for the rut, just, you know, transit, you know, habitat edges and everything else. And maybe find some deer you can put cameras on and maybe have an opportunity for early season. But like in season, postseason, like in season tells you where they're at right now. Postseason tells you where they were at at some point during the season, especially if you're seeing a lot of rut sign, well, clearly during, you know, whenever the rut is in your place of the country, you know, there are, there's bucks using this area, maybe during daylight, maybe at night, you don't really know until you kind of, you know, put some time into it. Um, and make some assumptions based off habitat and cover. But I think that's like one of the biggest factors for, I mean, majority of all of our, you know, guys on the podcast that truly are trying to target mature bucks is they put in a ton of time scouting and not just running trail cameras, but actually like what Andrew's talking about, what you're talking about, putting boots on the ground, walking, finding the sign, finding what looks, you know, what looks right to them as in why a mature buck should come through and then setting up on it, whether it's with a trail camera to try to confirm what your assumptions are mm-hmm. or just hunting it and, you know, seeing what opportunity kind of, you know, unfolds for you. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really, really big factor. Uh, and then also, you know, when it comes to hunting mature bucks, that's something that like me and Andrew are both trying to get better at because it is fun to try to go kill a, you know, four or five year old deer or, or older. Uh, but the, the other factor is if you're not having fun doing what you're doing and you're truly like just miserable and you talked about like not hunting for a couple of years because it made you that miserable. No, just, he said, he said life got in the way. Not that Well, oh, I'm sorry. Life got in the way. Okay. That's a different story, but you know, go out there and just have some fun, especially shooting does, uh, especially if you've liked deer meat. I know some people like, you know, they like deer meat a, a little bit, but they're not going to go out and kill three or four deer for their family just because they don't eat that much of it. And other people, they love deer meat and they want to put a lot of meat in the freezer. You know, go have some fun shooting some does as well. But also while doing that, doing what you're talking about, Andrew, in, in scouting more and working your way through areas. And, and I feel like uh, another big factor for, uh, you know, guys that we've had on the podcast, and I'm thinking – I think Jacob Lyshen talked about this. I'm trying to think of other guests that has mentioned this. I know there's been multiple in the past, but once you find an area mature bucks using at a certain time of the year, if he dies or disappears, there's probably a good chance at some other point, but maybe not that, maybe that season, but really maybe the next season, another mature buck's going to move into that area because the quality of the habitat, the quality of the, the train features, everything else that's right in that spot is probably going to just attract another mature buck in that area. And you can kind of, that's when I feel like a lot of our podcast guests, when they talk about going to a spot, it's a spot that repeatedly pays off for itself for multiple reasons. It might be an area that mature bucks just like to use a whole bunch during certain times of the year. It might be an area that has a really good doe group that comes in early and mature bucks know about that. And they're going to come and check those does early. So you have a good opportunity to kill them. It may be a really good late season spot where they like to bed and spend a lot of time. And then it gives you an opportunity to be able to hunt them. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors there, but the biggest thing is, Andrew, like you're saying, if you set up in a tree and you just don't feel confident, when I feel like that, I typically don't see much of anything. Be a hundred percent honest. Like, I'll get up there and I'm like, "Dang, this is a this, this 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 might not be as good of a tree as I thought it was, or as good of a spot as I thought it was." And, and every now and then, you know, of course, you'll see some deer from it. But a lot of times, if I had that gut feeling, I don't see that. I don't see like a good buck or a mature yeah. buck at that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that comes with time, though, too. Like, you got to develop that over over time. Because sometimes you do have to, like, there's been plenty of occasions where I get in a tree and I'm like, oh, this sucks, this is not a good spot. But I end up having a really good hunt or killing a deer. So, like, there are instances where you just have to kind of tough it out. But if you're kind of in a rut and you've been doing the same thing over and over again, like, that's when I think you need to break that and you need to get out and you really need to start walking and uh, and just do something that, that's fun but also, I mean, useful. I mean, go, go squirrel hunt, man. Like, uh, that's another really good way of getting out there and kind of forcing your, yourself to cover ground in a, in a way that you probably wouldn't before, Mm -hmm. uh, because you're, you're chasing animals. I mean, like when you're squirrel hunting, when me and you squirrel hunted in September, the, the way that we were pursuing those squirrels and, and navigating the landscape is not how I would have done it had we been scouting. So you're seeing things from a different perspective. So that's also another, uh, potentially good way. Uh Oh, trail cam check in, um, so that's you know potentially another really good way of uh, of kind of breaking up the monotony. Oh, big old fat doe. Is that walking. a shed? Shed buck? No, that ain't a shed buck. I thought I saw. I thought I saw big old dimples on top of her head. No. Okay, never mind. She's big, got a big, big old, old fat ears. gourd. Uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> so 
So, yeah, I, I, that would be my advice, man. Get out there and start burning that boot leather. I mean, you know, even <clears> – perfect example. We got a hunt coming up uh, in a couple weeks here. It's this, our last, like, big camp of the, of the fall or of, the, of deer season. And this is a place I've got a little bit of history with. Like, I've hunted it in the past, but I haven't hunted it hard in several years now. And what I could do, and especially, like, here in Alabama, like, kind of the tempting thing to do would be like this Saturday, I I could go and hunt, gun hunt, you know, some, some WMA, you know, somewhere in the state, uh, cause there's several that have gun hunts. Uh, or I could go to the WMA that we're going to hunt in a couple weeks for, you know, for that hunt. And I could, I could bow hunt it or I could hunt some land or I could just scout it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to forego my deer hunt sometime this weekend, whether it be like Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. I'm going to forego my deer hunt. Instead of getting in the deer stand, I'm going to take my dog. We're going to go down there. We're going to burn the boot leather. We're going to cover like eight miles and we're going to scout the hell out of the place. We're going to have fun while doing it. We're going to be chasing uh, woodcock and quail. And, you know, hopefully we fly some birds and, and we have a good hunt for the dog. But also because of the nature of the hunt I'm doing with my dog, like woodcock live in great deer cover. So I'm going to be working the edges of that really good deer cover and I'm going to be scouting stuff. And, uh, that's going to set me up for that hunt next week. So I have a feeling that if I do that, I'm going to have a much better hunt a week from now than if I went to XWMA this weekend. And then the weekend after that, I go to YWMA and I'm just throwing darts at the board. Cause I haven't, I haven't really hunted these areas before. So I'm showing up before daylight, walking into something I don't recognize. And you can absolutely have success doing that. Mm-hmm. I've just gotten to the point where I have more fun on my hunt when I have like a little bit of preparation. And it's almost like a little bit of anticipation too. Like I'm going to find something on Saturday that's going to fire me up. And then I'm going to sit on it for a week and I'm going to be sitting at work, you know, not thinking about work. And I'm going to be super excited about going out there and trying that spot out. And, and I have a plan. And if I go in and the plan doesn't work, I will have walked plenty of other stuff and I I will know conditions on the ground, you know, the week before from scouting it where I can really quickly adjust and make a decision. So I'm not driving around for three or four hours, not knowing what to do or checking different gates or doing this or that. I can just immediately go to plan B Mm -hmm. and like to me that increases my odds tremendously. And it, it increases my mindset because if I get down there and I get screwed up on my first hunt, like whatever happens, I can bounce, you know, and I can go find something else. And so, yeah, that just comes from like years of, of doing this now and getting burned on some hunts like that South Alabama hunt we did a couple years ago. Perfect example. Yeah. Hunt, hunted that place on and off a little bit. And longtime listeners know exactly the hunt I'm talking about. The one that broke me. Uh, hunted that place off and on a little bit. Was pretty familiar with it. Didn't do any homework whatsoever going into it. Got down there that week and planned A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. We're screwed up. There's people at the gates. There's people everywhere. Way more pressure than we thought. And so the whole weekend was just spent like adjusting and trying to figure stuff out. And uh, and it like it was just miserable. I mean, it was honestly like not a fun hunt at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just kind of miserable for me the whole time. So so now I'm just trying to avoid that situation. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to do my homework beforehand. So I've got plans if things don't go my way, or if everything does go my way, then hopefully I've got. Plan A is the only plan I need. Like I'm gonna go set up in the best spot that I know is good because I already scouted it. So, anyways, we got to move on to question number two. So, um, this one he left his name as Mr. Ox. Hey, gents, I'm glad I discovered y'all's podcast. Uh, thank you. I have some feedback for y'all. I listen to Wired to Hunt podcast, and this time of year they have the Rut Fresh Radio. I would love to hear a true Southern version slash riff on this. Um, they said, I also love y'all are part of the first light family. Um, maybe, um, maybe y'all already have an episode on this. Uh, I'd love to hear more on some one one and getting in the woods undetected. I've had a deer blow twice on me this year entering the stand. I don't know who scared who. Ha ha. Um, thanks again for your content and stay Southern. So we actually tried to do that. Uh, the, uh, the like rut report thing yep. in the past. And, oh, there's Sam calling me right on schedule. Um, we, we did that in the past, actually, a couple of years ago. We we did it with a turkeys and deer. That was, like, 2019. Yeah. Like, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was a tremendous amount of work, so we stopped doing it. Yeah, we stopped doing it. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things. So one thing we've realized in the southeast, uh, especially outside of, like, some specific states where 
even though there might be a couple different ruts, it's still pretty fine tuned dur- during a two week p- period of time. You know, down here in Alabama, I could talk to somebody in one county, and you know, they think the ruts not like nothing's happening. It's just terrible. And then I could talk to somebody ten miles away. You know, same county, but just ten miles away, and it's like the best hunt of their entire lives. Yeah. And I think that's one thing specifically down here where we're at in the southeast is like, you know, you should have a pretty good understanding, especially if you've hunted down here for a little while. Um, like in Alabama, our rut map's pretty spot on. I mean, the accuracy yeah. of it's spot on. And if you're hunting any t- anytime during that window of time, if you're not seeing activity, you just probably need to move. Or, again, some spots just take a little bit more time to kind of you know produce something. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't don't get don't get so tied up on like the whole like when they do like the fresh uh, report and stuff because we we've done it that we've been interviewed on their show um, by Spencer uh, for Wired to Hunt in, yeah, in the we've past. Been on it. And it's just the South is so different from a lot of the Midwest. Uh, so I just don't worry so much about that. Just talk to your buddies and everybody's maybe a little bit more local to you and see what they're saying, how everything's going, and kind of use that as your intel, of, you know, what you should be doing. Um, now, going, getting to the woods undetected, that is something that we've talked about in probably some episodes. I don't know of any right off the top of my mind. I did ask, I think it was at the our hunting camp. Actually, I did talk about this. The episode we did with Michael Pike, Michael Perry, and then Shane Parker, the one I did with them at Hunting Camp back in October. Episode came out, I think, late October. Yep. We talked about this because the area of the state we were hunting in, uh, just the leaves were super thick, real loud, dry conditions. And I just felt like it was impossible to get anywhere quietly because it was like fairly calm, light winds. And you just made so much racket. And one thing Michael Perry said is, he's like, I don't worry anything about that. As long as I'm not making like clanging noise with metal, I'm just walking straight to my spot and just sounding as natural as I can, like just something walking, maybe pausing every now and then, and then getting to your spot and getting set up. Now, it's a little bit different. Daylight, you know, coming in before daylight versus going in on an afternoon hunt. Going in on an afternoon hunt, something Andrew's been doing for a while now and has had a lot of success with it. I try to do it. I probably need to keep the turkey call in my you know, pocket a little bit more than Andrew can because Andrew has a really good national uh, hen yelp. But if you can take a turkey call with you, especially if you're in an area where there's a decent amount of turkeys and you're going in an afternoon hunt or a midday hunt and it's daylight, as you're walking in, you know, doing some soft yelps while you're doing it and scratching in the leaves with your boot, to me, tremendously has helped. Because there's been times, like I remember a time in Georgia we did that, and we walked, I mean, right on top right of up on. There was two does bedded in this creek bottom that we were trying to cross, uh, really kind of parallel looking for feeds on, and then we were crossing it next to a little pine thing, and they were bedded on a log in the fairly wide open, and we got to, like, they let us get to, like, 30 yards of them, and you were just, like, hen yelping as we were moving. Yep. And then they never even blew. They just took up, took off and took off running. And yeah. I think that's helped out tremendously because, I mean, I've been on hunts with you where we've done it and, like, just bump deer super close, and a lot of times you get, you're so close to them, they never blow. Yeah. They just, they're like, get out of here, man, and just, you know, <laughs> skedaddle. Um, so I think that's a really good thing to do. Now in the mornings going in, you can't do that. So typically what I'll do in the mornings and Andrew, I'd love to get your take, whether it's morning, evening, midday, whenever I'm walking in, I don't just walk on a straight line to, especially if I'm getting within a couple hundred yards of where I'm going to probably set up at, I'll walk, you know, take 10 steps, 11 steps, stop for a second. And then I'll do it again where, where it's like irregular just walking and it's yeah. not just a constant walk. And I feel like it sounds more natural. I mean, even if you're not doing the whole hill to toe, making it sound like you're you you know you're making four steps instead of two, if you're doing just that, I think that helps you a lot more than just booking it directly to the tree. But again, guys like Michael Perry would disagree with me on that. And he just is like, I'm going to get to my stand as quiet as I can. I'm not worried about necessarily a bunch of sticks and well, maybe sticks, but not worry about making sounds, you know, brush up against leaves or stepping on leaves and stuff like that. Now I'm going to try to get set up as quickly as possible. So again, there's two sides to it. Uh, but if you think you're getting blown at, if they're blowing at you, there's, especially if it's dark, th- you're either really close with them with a the light on or even with the light off, they'll blow at you or they're, they smell you. If they're smelling you, you got nothing, you got nothing to you yeah. know, do there. Yeah. Now, one of the main things to look at, and this is something that, um, like, especially with uh, with uh, Mike and Sam that I've been trying to stress to them this year, is, like, when you're walking in, like, yeah, you've got to figure out your wind location for wherever you're going to hunt, but you also have to think about it from your access point, too, and what where is your wind blowing as you are walking to that stand? Uh, because, you know, if, if you're walking 
you know, with the wind at your back to your stand, and then you're, you know, getting there. Uh oh, what do we have there? COVID two point oh. Oh my gosh! Oh no, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing this. Freaking news. Let's got a news report. Deadly, <laughs> deadly disease outbreak in multiple states. Man, get ready for COVID two point oh, guys. Anyway, we get shut down in turkey season. We get turkey hunt for like two months. I don't know. That probably be pretty bad. I don't know if you remember first year during COVID when that happened. Turkey oh, dude, I, I dude, I I laid the wood to the turkeys that year. I don't know what you're talking. Well, there's about. a lot of people out. Is what I was saying. Oh yeah, you were. Were you hunt? You weren't hunting public. You were hunting private, weren't you? No, I was hunting public. I killed four that year, and they were all on public. Oh, okay, son. Okay. Anyways, anyway, totally lost my train of thought. Uh, what you've been talking to Sam and Blake, uh, Sam and uh, oh, Mike yeah, about yeah, yeah, the yeah. wind walking. Yeah, in. like like you know, you got to make sure that the wind is good as you're walking in, and you know that I mean that's pretty self explanatory. It's like just make sure the wind's not blowing to where you think the deer are or where they might come from. Yeah. Uh, so so there's that, but yeah, the the um, turkey elk thing really helps if you're walking around after any time after daylight um it, it helps a lot man like just scratching in the leaves i don't even scratch in the leaves i just yell the cool thing is you can actually if, if you like man if it's like real wind, i mean you can yelp loud and like the deer don't care i mean oh, yeah. turkeys make a ton if you some of y'all may live in a part of the southeast where y'all don't have a lot of turkey numbers or high turkey numbers and might not have experiences, but like a lot turkeys of turkeys are very loud. Yeah, a lot of places we hunt, there's a lot of birds. And like if a if a drove of eight, ten, twelve, fifteen birds come through, go, or you know, it's not even garbage, but just turkeys in general come through, they're making so much racket walking, all the vocalizations, the whole nine yards, and the deer just don't care. And yeah. personally, I think the deer, if deer hear turkeys, I think it puts them at ease because everything wants to eat a turkey. So if turkeys are cool, <laughs> the deer is going to be cool. And I personally, I've experienced that on feed trees. You get a you get a group of turkeys come in, they're making all kinds of racket, and right behind them, some deer start walking in. And, it's, and again, I, I don't know if it's just part of what goes on, but I think there's some kind of relationship there mm-hmm. that if the deer hear the turkeys being nice, cool, and calm, and, you know, they ain't freaking out, the deer are pretty chill, too. Yeah, another thing you can do, uh, like, he's talking about, the like, some 101 of getting the woods undetected. The before daylight thing, um, where you can't yelp like a turkey like that, what you said, I think, is a, is a key thing, and that is irregularity. So, I mean, if you have to just book it to your stand and just walk straight there, that's fine. But that is like a very human cadence Mm -hmm. to do. Like nothing really walks on a straight line like that without pausing or or breaking cadence. Even a hog. We saw some hogs on our SOA hunt. They freaking run everywhere. They They run, mm -hmm. but but they stop, and then they run over here, and then they run over there. And, like, it's just really irregular. Mm-hmm. But only a human just, tch, 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 I mean, coming and going, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's, like, like very – now, it depends also, though, on, again, where the deer are at. So, like, everything hinges on where are the deer while you were walking in. So if they're, if they're in a pine thicket 250 yards away and you're waiting for them to come out in a clear cut or off, off a gas line or something – you can probably do that and be fine. Yeah, I'm not you know, as long as your wind is is not blowing to them, you can be pretty loud. And and so there's just a that's going to come with time and experience of understanding where the deer are at and understanding. Okay, can I just haul and go really fast through here, or do I need to slow it down and maybe sound a little more natural? Great example. If you're hunting like a really good travel corridor during the rut, okay. And you might not have bedding smack dab right next to you. Maybe you've got bedding a couple hundred yards away on either side of you, but it's a really tight pinch point. Again, going back to Arkansas we hunt, the Arkansas hunt we did this year, River Bottoms. There was a, a little skinny piece of public next to some private land ag fields that was like this travel corridor these deer were using. And on either end of it, you know, probably you know quarter mile away was like some thicker bedding cover. Walking into that spot, especially when we're coming from the water, I don't care anything about noise because the thing is, yeah, there might be something there right at daylight or before daylight, but I'm more expecting something to come through an hour, two hours after daylight cruising through or even midday. Yeah. Those situations, I'm not worried at all about, you know, my cadence walking in. I'm I'm, I'm not trying to slam metal together or anything like that, but it's like those times when when we're talking about like you have to like get in past some deer potentially to get into a spot. Like you're, you're much closer to bedding cover, much closer to like this, the area they're spending a lot of their time in throughout the day. That's when I start doing that cadence a little bit more, slow it down, really watch my step. And I'm, I'm very meticulous walking through and picking out where I'm putting my feet at and my steps. I'm not looking up a whole bunch. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm truly trying to figure out like where I can put my boot, 
and it's like you're just you're quickly analyzing as you're walking and doing this. And then also, I like having a, a softer, a soft enough soul boot that soiled, sold, 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 sold boot. It's sold. <laughs> anyway, um, that you can feel sticks and stuff underneath your boot. So yeah, you know, if you feel that, point. pick your foot back up. You know, slide your foot back over a little bit, put it back down, and just kind of do that as you're moving, just to try to like keep from making any obnoxiously loud noises like popping a big stick or something yeah um and the same thing walking through briars i mean if you gotta walk through briars don't just rip on through them especially if you're getting pretty close to where you're hunting at or you're gonna be walking potentially by some deer to get to maybe a better spot pick your way through it nice and slow do the briar shuffle you know kind of slide that, that right foot out a little bit to the right kind of about a 45 degree angle Press those briars down. Do the same thing to the left. Kind of ease your way through it. Yeah, don't, and, don't just tear through them. Yeah, don't just tear through them, okay? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things like that that I think you can do that will tremendously help you uh, be less... Um, invasive. Invasive, you know, make deer yeah. less aware. But also, again, this, if you're walking in an hour and a half before daylight, I don't really care. Yeah, no, I'm being loud. That's actually the, the, the last thing I'll say on it is... Uh, just to give two good examples, you'll hear about this one in detail on Monday, but where Mike shot his buck that we're going to talk about Monday, yep. his first deer, he he was hunting the bedding. I mean, he was hanging over the bedding. And I told him going into that spot, I'm like, just take your time. Like, take as much time as you possibly need to get in there and just be super, super, super quiet. And he took he took two hours to get in the tree. This is not a far walk. Uh-uh. Not a far walk at all. It took two hours. It should. It could have taken probably twenty five minutes from closing the truck door to being up in your tree. Settled. Settled. It took him two hours, which made all the difference. He ended up getting a buck, as opposed to where I killed two bucks this year in Arkansas. It was a. It was a. Uh, a funnel between a bunch of different areas that deer were at. The the particular funnel. Um, if you're talking about like where the deer were probably at in relation to like bedding or whatever, the, I mean, they're a hundred plus yards away in either direction. There could be some deer like walking through the funnel when we got there before daylight, but they're more than likely pretty far away from me at that point. It's not like I'm right up against the bedding or it's not like I'm right up against feed. This is a strict transition area. So when I'm going in before daylight, I'm like, okay, there's probably not a deer in there. I might be unlucky and have a huge buck walking through, you know, half an hour before light and I might bump him. But, you know, it is what it is if that happens. I mm-hmm. can't control that. We're rolling up on a boat. You drop me off on the riverbank. And my mindset is like, I'm getting up a tree as fast as I possibly can because I don't know when they're going to come through. So I'm breaking sticks. I'm shuffling in the leaves. I'm throwing my bag down. I'm being loud as crap because in that situation, I'm like, okay, the deer are not on top of me right now, more than likely. So I'm just going to prioritize getting up in this tree and getting ready because, you know, they could come through at any moment. And uh, and I'm going to prioritize that versus in Mike's situation – it was the exact opposite. You're you know you're walking right in on top of some deer. You're probably climbing a tree within a hundred yards of a bed of deer. Mm-hmm. So be super super quiet and just take your time with it. So like as far as like the quote unquote one one hundred one aspect of it goes, the the one hundred one is how close are you to the deer, where they are while you are accessing, and what can you get away with in that situation. Yeah. But and also by the way, if you've been bumping, you've only bumped two deer. Two deer this year on the way in. That's, that's not great. Bad. That's not bad at that's all. Fantastic. Personally, unless you've only hunted four times this year, then we get problems. <laughs> um, but also, if you have to walk by like a huge food source on the way there, like you have to walk through like early season a big open oak flat, but you're not going to hunt the oak flat. You want to hunt the back of it. You're going to bump deer. It's just going to happen. Okay. Yeah. So you got to take all that consideration as well and think about going back to episode. When, when did the new Josh Driver version come out? Uh, five, 512. Okay. Episode 512. Go listen to episode 512. Positive versus negative terrain. Positive terrain where deer are spending time during daylight hours or nighttime hours. And then negative terrain where they're not spending time during daylight hours or nighttime hours. And think about that in your mind and try to stay in that negative terrain as long as possible before you have to get out of it. I think you'll have a lot more success as well. 100%. Uh, all right. Those are the two we're going to do this week. We got a roll. We got some buddies with the deer down and we got to help them with it. So, woohoo. Maybe we'll get them on the podcast. Old Sam and Blakely. Um, anyways, uh, appreciate everybody watching. Appreciate everybody listening. Hey, we got these uh, beautiful, gorgeous camo hats. Old school camo. Back Old in stock. school camo. Back in stock. Limited run. They've sold out, I think, three times already. 
So if you want one of these old school camo hats, again, link down the show notes below, pick one up. Also, we still have some more blaze orange, the old lucky hat. You just saw a listener success story get posted a couple days ago on social media. Um, listener was actually asking to send me one of the lucky ones. So I wrote him a note, hope this is a lucky hat and he killed his first like good rack buck ever. Yeah. Really nice. Buck, so man. yeah, really nice. Appreciate buck. everybody's been purchasing uh, Southern Outdoorsman apparel. Uh, appreciate all that support. And again, you can pick up all these hats and more uh, down the show notes below in the link. And uh, just appreciate it, guys. And hey, remember, tune in next Monday's episode. You're gonna want to. You're gonna. You're not gonna want to miss it. <laughs> Definitely don't want to miss it. Um, but also, good luck to you guys this uh, weekend. Hopefully, y'all stay warm. Maybe kill some deer. Write in some listener success stories when you get them. And uh, just appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening. We'll catch y'all back here on the next episode from the Southern Outdoorsman. And remember, guys, y'all stay southern. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year, and guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.